Morning, church. How's everybody doing? All right, several weeks ago, I started a lesson. I did one lesson on, I called it the state of the church, and we were talking about what does a healthy church look like. I wanted to do one more lesson. Um, we've had Mother's Day and several things in between, so I wanted to finish up with one more lesson. What does a healthy church look like? And I shared some facts. I shared some kind of disturbing data with you from the Christian Chronicle, several articles, where have all the churches gone? Church closing trend began before COVID. A final song, a familiar inn, a rural Tennessee congregation closes. That was the church right there. Um, these, most of these are former members that came in because of the Ragsdale Church of Christ in Manchester, Tennessee. So, and the Chronicle reported, Churches of Christ reached their peak in about 1990 with about 1.6 million adherents in 13,000 plus churches, according to a national directory published by the 21st Century Christian. A trend of decline set in at that point, which has now become a significant loss. They also said in the past three decades, adherents are down 14%. The number of congregations is down 9%. Whether urban or rural, the overwhelming majority of churches of Christ, I don't know if you knew this, this kind of catches me off guard, 85% of churches of Christ are under 200 in attendance. That's not good or bad or indifferent. More than half, even before the pandemic, had an average attendance of just 34 people, so it's not the pandemic's fault. Half of the churches of Christ have 34 people average. They continue. 1,200 churches have closed their doors in the last three decades. 200 congregations have closed since 2014. A couple of weeks ago, Kelly and I drove to East Texas. I had to help with a funeral. Here's a Church of Christ along the way, closed and for sale. So, that's why we're talking about church health. That's why I wanted to do an annual church checkup. That's why we're talking about the state of the church. Because we all understand the importance of health checkups. We may not like them, but we understand the purpose of health checkups, annual health exams, health screenings. We want to make sure we're healthy. We want to make sure that nothing's wrong. We want to make sure there's nothing we're missing, and we want to do the same thing for the church. How's our health? How are we doing as a church? This church. I'm talking about this church, the Belton Church of Christ. Annual exams are not fun. I know you know that. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and I want to apologize to my doctor friends. I said, I'm sick of going to the doctor. To be fair, they said they were sick of seeing me. <laughs> so um, I apologize for that because if you know me and if you ask my wife and if you ask our children I don't mind going to the doctor I mean if I think I'm going to be sick in three weeks I'm going to go ahead and make an appointment tomorrow I don't mind going to the doctor I, I don't mind getting shots in my knee I don't mind going to the dentist I don't mind root canals I don't mind getting my teeth pulled I don't mind annual checkups I don't mind getting my face frozen 20 times some appointments I don't mind anything that ends in oscopy. <laughs> because, I'll tell you why. When you're done going to the doctor, what you want to hear from the doctor ideally is, you know, I don't see anything. I think you're fine. I think your checkup's good. I did blood work just, I don't know. I've had so many appointments, I don't know. Recently I did blood work and they send you all the test results and they want you to be in this range. I wasn't flagged in any area. 
That's what I like to hear. That's what you want to hear because you want to know that you're healthy. Just like when we get our health report from Abilene Christian University, our church health assessment. So we've been measuring nine factors of church health. And in 2016, we had five areas that were in the red. Red is no good. You do know that, right? In 2018, we had two areas that were in the red. So we were getting healthier. In 2021, we had one area in the red and up to two areas in the green. And that's encouraging because we want to know about our health. And one of the ways you do that is you take a church health assessment. And it shows that we're moving in a good direction. It shows we're moving in a healthy direction. Let me repeat that. We're moving in a healthy direction. But sometimes a doctor says, you know, we might need to run some more tests. We might need to do this procedure. We might need to take something out. Back in 1998, I was getting really sick. And I dropped about 40 pounds. And I didn't know what it was. And I had every oscopy that you can imagine to the point that I'm like, just take something out. <laughs> right? And they did. They removed my gallbladder. And I started getting better. Because sometimes you have to remove something. Sometimes you have to take something out. Why? Because 1,200 churches have closed their doors in the last three decades, Churches of Christ, 200 since 2014, and something's got to change. I mean, I've mentioned to you, what makes us think that we're any different than any of those churches that had great intentions but closed their doors? Big churches, little churches, churches that you would never imagine closing their doors, selling their buildings. That's why I wanted to spend a couple of lessons. I know health checkups, you're like, oh, it's that time of year. So we're going to do the lesson today and we'll call it good. Because maybe, maybe just maybe we need to ask, does something need to be taken out? Does something need to be removed? Today I want to talk about a disease that affects church growth. Let's read. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We know about abundance of possessions. If you don't know about abundance of possessions, the average American has 300,000 items in their home. The average size of the American home has tripled in the last 50 years. One in ten Americans rent off-site storage to the tune of $38 billion a year. In the USA, there are 50,000 storage facilities. We have five times more storage facilities than we do Starbucks. And some of y'all are thinking, that's just wrong. <laughs> that is the abundance of possessions. Let's keep reading. Jesus told him a parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Off-site storage. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy had a problem. He actually had several problems. One of them was greed. And his greed created his main problem of too much stuff. Too much stuff. Here's the disease I think this guy had. He had a cumulitis. <laughs> Itis meaning a disease of or inflammation of or infection of. 
So appendicitis, an inflammation of your appendix, or tonsillitis, a disease affecting your tonsils. This guy had accumulitis. He had the disease of accumulating. He had too much stuff, too much baggage, and that baggage was weighing him down. You know what this disease looks like, but I'll illustrate for you. Some of y'all know people or might be the person you have this disease at work. You got too much stuff in your office. If someone was to walk in, they'd say, do you even know where anything is? You've got too much stuff. Some of y'all know someone or might be the person you've got this at home. You pull into your garage and you're like, we got so much stuff. Got to get rid of this stuff. And the trouble is you're probably married to someone who doesn't want to get rid of stuff. And you want to get rid of stuff. 80% of Americans have accumulitis because we're overweight. We've accumulated too much baggage. Some people have this problem in their relationships, and it's really sad when they come together in a marriage, and I bring my baggage, and she brings her baggage, and you carry my bags, no, you carry my bags, and all of the stuff that has happened to them in life, and they bring their baggage, and they got a lot of problems in that relationship. And then there are churches. Sometimes churches suffer from accumulitis. They accumulate bags and bags and bags of stuff. Now, accumulating is not necessarily a bad thing. So don't get me wrong. Until the stuff we accumulate holds us back and keeps us from going forward and it dictates what we can and can't do. And when the church accumulates too much stuff, too much baggage, it affects the future of the church. Now, you've seen this happen. If you've ever been to the airport, you might be sitting there, and here comes somebody or a family, and they're lugging so much stuff, and you're thinking they'll never make it to the ticket counter, they'll never make it to check-in, they'll never make it to their destination because they've got too much stuff, and it's keeping them from getting to where they need to be. Accumulitis. So let me share some quotes with you from two of my favorite books. Forgive me, I'm going to read to you a little bit today. The first book is one of my favorites because my dad gave it to me. I've given you quotes from this book before. I've never used this quote that's on the back cover. Any institution which thinks it can treat the future as though it were just an extension of the past or present is doomed to fail. That goes especially for the church. I want to read that again. Any institution which thinks it can treat the future as though it were just an extension of the past or the present is doomed to fail. Jim Woodruff, Church in Transition, published in 1990. And since 1992, we've been on the decline. So I want to know what he has to say. Here's what he says. Religious movements are like families. If they live in one place very long, they tend to accumulate excess baggage, which reflects the culture around them, and they tend to become too attached to the culture and the baggage. It's virtually impossible for a couple to move who've lived in the same house for 40 years. It's too too painful. I mean, what do we throw away? What do we keep? What should we perhaps put in storage? And the process becomes more complicated and more painful if one uh, one or the other of the couple tends to be a pack rat Someone who can't bear to throw anything away or leave anything behind. Counseling's available later for those of you that describes that. The same is true for churches. The longer a church stays in one culture, 
the more likely it is to accumulate the trappings and baggage of that time and place, accumulitis. And the harder it is to cut loose from those things. But a church which decides to be involved in spreading the good news about Christ over the earth must decide to be a church in transition. And that means it must be prepared to travel light and stand ready to jettison any method or language or practice which may get in the way of their task. Among the elitist's most ardent followers are many of us in the churches of Christ in America today intent on maintaining our distinctiveness. We've been guilty of severing the body of Christ limb from limb. We've divided over such matters as cups and kitchens, organs and orphans, race and ritual, pastors and personalities, contribution and cooperation, and a host of other things. If God did not allow the Jewish Christians in the first century to bind on others things He Himself had commanded... God's not going to allow us to bind on others' conclusions we've arrived at by inference and deduction. If they, the world, see us straining at gnats and swallowing camels, wrangling and dividing, wronging and devouring each other over things about which the kingdom of God is not concerned, while the weightier matters of righteousness, peace, and joy take a place of lesser importance, they will turn away from us in disgust. We're involved in the process of deciding about religious matters, whether they're universal or parochial, eternal or temporary, essential or incidental, and no one does it 100% right. No one. Now, churches and baggage, accumulitis, much of what we accumulate, most of what we accumulate, I would say all of the stuff we accumulate that keeps us from moving forward has nothing to do with Scripture. It's just baggage. And before long, we can't move forward because we're lugging too much stuff and we're not going to make it to our destination. Here's what Leroy Garrett says in an article called There's No Law Prohibiting Instruments in Worship. I came to realize the basic problem in all this is distinguishing between matters of faith and matters of opinion. The same argument that condemns instrumental music condemns Sunday schools, vacation Bible schools, multiple cups for the Lord's Supper, four-part harmony, on and on. Until we realize there are, these are opinions over which we can agree to differ, we will continue to divide. We must not allow opinions to drive a wedge between us. Things the Bible says nothing about. Things that we've accumulated. Baggage that's holding us back. And all it does is drag us down. Churches accumulate baggage and suffer from accumulitis. And if we're not careful, we forget what is essential to our existence. And we end up lugging around baggage that just pulls us down. What are some of the symptoms of accumulitis in a church? There's preferences and agendas and traditions and opinions. That's the way we've always done it. You know, back in the day, I don't like it when... Baggage. Accumulitis. Inflammation that comes from too much stuff. And the next thing you know, the church has accumulated so much baggage, they can't move forward. Now, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to drive it home. So I bought one, brought one of my second favorite books. You know that based on the stickies. Based on... This is one of my favorite books, and I'm rereading it as, as if I need to, but one of my favorite books. This is from Tim Woodruff, not Jim. A Church That Flies. A Church That Flies. This is powerful. 
In many ways, the history of the churches of Christ has paralleled the history of flight. For the past 150 years, we've looked enviously at New Testament churches and coveted their ability to fly. We gazed longingly at their loving fellowship, life-changing ethics, spirit-led worship, and evangelistic witness. We noted the fervor of their faith and the courage that led them to the arena and the stake. And we watched as a band of 12 grew into a church of 3,000 and then matured into a movement that turned the world upside down. We dreamed of building a contemporary church that recaptured the same dynamic and faithfulness exhibited by the first century exemplar. But as a movement, we've experienced an embarrassing string of failures, divisions, stagnation, a sense of being increasingly marginalized in our culture, a loss of identity, and the spiritual deaths of people we know and love. We can't seem to get the contemporary church off the ground, no matter how hard we flap our first century wings. Many of us are growing frustrated with a modern church that may look like the ancient church in the particulars, but fails to function with any like its power and life-changing dynamic. Some are beginning to ask whether it might be possible to be the church of Christ today without the focus on forms that has become our hallmark. If we're honest, the pressing motivation for questioning the way we do church is rooted less in our sensitivity to the spiritually central than in the growing acknowledgement that our movement is no longer able to capture the imagination of a new generation. Increasingly, we find ourselves in the difficult position of holding a debate we do not want in order to secure a future we fear is slipping from us. Many of us are no longer willing to pour the best of ourselves into the preservation of 19th century modes of worship or doctrinal positions that in our hearts we no longer accept or believe to be central. Jesus did not die, nor do we want to live, to ensure that buildings not have kitchens or that music remain congregational and a cappella or that a woman never make announcements in church. And take something more potent than correct positions on worship etiquette to make a dent in this present darkness. To do more of the same will result in more of the same, and that we cannot afford. It's time to do something different so that we can make a difference. Maybe it's time to lose some baggage. Maybe it's time we drop the stuff that's weighing us down. I love this quote. You're not stuck. you just committed to certain patterns of behavior because they did help you in the past. Now those behaviors have become more harmful than helpful. The reason why you can't move forward is because you keep applying an old formula to a new level in your life. Change the formula to get a different result. Why? Because 1,200 churches have closed their doors. What makes us think we're going to be any different than any of those churches? That's why we do health checkups. To make sure we're still breathing. To make sure everything's still okay. Okay, so that's the disease, accumulitis. That's the disease. Richie, what's the prescription? What's the prescription? If it, I'm going to give you the prescription, and if we start doing this, and we start doing this well, it'll change our church. I 100% believe this. Just like when you go to the doctor. Sometimes when you go to the doctor, you already know the answer. You already know what the doctor's going to say. Sometimes it's not real profound. You need to change your diet. You need to exercise. You need to lose some weight. I hear that every year. I have to decide, do I want to change my diet? Do I want to exercise? Do I want to lose some weight? Churches have to decide, here's a prescription, do we want to do it or not? Now, 
Here's the prescription. Here's what we do need to start accumulating. Relationships. This is why we encourage you to do groups. This is why we encourage you to be in a group. A common denominator in almost every single healthy church that's growing. Across the board, all denominations is groups, groups, groups. You need to be in a group. You need to be in a group. You need to be in a group. Let me illustrate. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They met together every day in the temple courts and in their homes, breaking bread and sharing their food. Let me tell you what that looks like. They devoted themselves. They invested themselves. They didn't invest in stuff. They invested in each other. They invested in people. And you want to know why they were doing this? They weren't just doing church. They weren't just necessarily following Jesus. They were trying to survive. They were trying to survive because they were an illegal religion in the Roman Empire. They're trying to survive because they were losing their jobs and losing their families because of their faith. They were watching as family and friends were thrown to the lions. They were watching as family and friends were burned at the stake. So they met together and they prayed together and they were in community together. They weren't just doing church. They were doing life together. Life change happens in groups. But, but you know this. You know this not because I'm saying this. You know this not because of research. You know this from personal experience. Those of you, some of y'all have been in a group since Noah. With Noah. Some of y'all have been in a group since birth with other people. You've grown up in a group with people. You've done life with. You've vacationed with. You've gone to Bible study with. Listen, you're going to think this is funny. This is true. I hate it when the preacher has to say this is true. I've known people through the years from different churches, different denominations... Who will say, I don't like the preaching, I don't like the singing, I don't like the order of worship, I don't like the leadership, I don't like the staff, I don't like the way the church does or doesn't spend money. And you're like, well then why do you go to church there? That's where all my friends are. Because I'm in a group with some people. Because I'm doing life with people. We tolerate a lot of stuff. When we're in community with one another. Listen, life change happens in a small group. That's a prescription. It's real simple. It'll change this church and it'll change you. That's why we want to encourage you to be in a small group. Listen, you decide. Nobody's going to assign you to a group. You decide. You decide what Bible study group on Sunday morning you may or may not want to go to. Wednesday night you may or may not want to go to. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. A group you may or may not. You decide what group you're in. Nobody's going to make you be in a group, but listen, we need to be in community with one another. We don't need to be accumulating stuff. We need to be accumulating relationships. And when you connect with others in community, it is life-changing. I know I've shared this quote with you before, but I love it and it illustrates. Reggie Joyner and Tom Shefshenus. Do you want to know the best thing my small group leader ever did? Back in the fifth grade, I was really nervous about a test, and I mentioned it in a small group. Then the night before the test, my mom said I had a phone call. It was my small group leader. She had called to tell me she was thinking about and praying for me and that she thought I would do great on the test. Life-changing. 
You know what that means? Whatever group you're in, do that. Call them up. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. I hear you're having a test. How'd the doctor's visit go? Can I pray for you? It's showing up in one another's lives. That's all we're saying in being a group. Listen, we don't need more baggage. We need each other. It's life-changing. So, we want to encourage you. That's a prescription. Invest in a small group. You decide. If you have questions about groups, Holly's right here. Raise your hand, Holly. If you don't know Holly, she's right here. And Holly will get you connected to a group, tell you about what groups we have. Listen, listen, folks, out of all the things, I'm telling you, out of all the things that growing healthy churches do, they do groups. Groups, groups, groups. It's being in a group. So can I encourage you to be in community with someone? It doesn't have to be anything official. It doesn't have to be anything that we necessarily put on paper, but you need to be in community with someone else. This will change our church. 